the British people have spoken and the answer is we're out. We're out. We're out. We're out. We're out. Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the New Economics Foundation's weekly economics podcast for Brexit, the economics audio movie. I'm joined by Olivier Varkoulias, uh, economist here at NEF, to talk about what the heck happens now. The British people have made a very clear decision. I think the country requires fresh leadership to take it in this direction. For those who may be anxious, whether at home or abroad, this does not mean that the United Kingdom will be in any way less united. The option of a second referendum must be on the table, and it is on the table. I will do everything I can as Prime Minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months. In the space of a few hours, the pound suffered its biggest intraday collapse since the era of floating exchange rates. Some market and economic volatility can be expected as this process unfolds. I do think that yesterday's vote speaks to the ongoing changes and challenges that are raised by globalization. Let June the 23rd go down in our history as our Independence Day. So a quick recap, first of all, uh, it's been, uh, it's Monday evening today, I should say. Uh, it's uh, fast moving events, of course. Uh, but where we are right now is it's four days since the UK voted for Brexit. And since then, uh, as many of you all know, the Prime Minister has resigned. Uh, Sterling has hit a 31 year low again. Uh, trading has been suspended at banks such as Lloyd's and RBS. And both major political parties are looking seriously divided. So Olivier, uh, People keep saying that the markets are freaking out. What exactly do they mean by that? And why should I care? Well, they just mean that, you know, basically people are reducing their exposure on different financial instruments, on shares, on the stock market and so on and so forth. Now, you know, there are by and large two drivers for that. I mean, you know, one view is that there is a slight bit of irrationality in all this in the sense that uh, markets tend to panic very easily, you know, to kind of unknown developments, which is something which is definitely happening right now. But the second element to it is obviously that, you know, there there is an aspect of fundamental uh, risks that they are facing. So one aspect is the one of, you know, kind of panic uh, and group behavior and the other one is more around the, the fears uh, on the future of the British economy um, what type of agreements you know Britain may strike with uh, Europe and as well the potential decline on some key sectors for example we've seen you know a very big fall in the the shares of construction companies uh, or on companies such as easyjets which are linked to tourism and so on ah so people taking their money out of certain companies certain investments because they just don't think it's going to be a good uh, bet exactly okay so now the bank of england has pledged to pump a cheeky 250 billion into the economy uh, the chancellor george osborne also briefly resurfaced uh, after going quite quiet uh, since the vote uh, resurfaced on monday morning to try and steady the ship as uh, it's been called um is this enough or should uh, the government be doing more well, to the question whether uh, it's enough, we don't know and we can't know yet. 
Um, very obviously, uh, you know, one of the measures uh, the, the governor of the Bank of England can take is just to pump money into the economy, uh, which addresses some of the problems we're seeing right now, but it doesn't address them all, uh, and it can't address them all. Um, obviously, you know, they're going to try to calm down markets. Everybody's going to be saying, you know, we shouldn't be worried and so on. But there are major risks uh, ahead of us. And, you know, we may need a lot of more measures. The, the biggest risk here is that, you know, pumping money into the economy is fine. Uh, for example, in terms of helping the financial system cope with the shock they're going through now, it may not be enough to stabilize the British pound, right? So if a lot of international investors are just pulling their money out of the country, uh, just doing, you know, some form of quantitative easing or pumping liquidity into the economy isn't going to be sufficient to address the shock this may cause to the economy. So this is UK debts that British investment banks have with banks in other countries? Yes, so it can fulfill some of the obligations as well towards, um, you know, uh, foreign investment positions. So, for example, you know, if a local bank uh, owes some form of debt um, to foreigners, to a foreign investment bank and so on, it can basically pay it back. Now, the problem, and this is an unknown in the equation, is that we don't know how much so-called currency mismatches that exist uh, in the financial sector. So we don't know how much of the exposure of British banks and financial institutions um, to, to other countries is denominated in foreign currencies. And when it is denominated in foreign currencies, what that means is that basically the, the, the pound is devaluing, so your assets uh, are in pounds, but then your debt is in a foreign currency which is now worth more. And this may create problems to the financial system to which the Bank of England can act to some extent, but not if this is a very prolonged period of, of instability. Okay, so people, uh, decent, ordinary people, as uh, Nigel Farage calls them, uh, are understandably uh, concerned about their own finances. How do you think that ordinary households are going to be affected by all this? The probably will be affected in many ways. So th there are two views right now on that. The, the first view is that, you know, the economy is taking a shock for a few days and then, you know, it will kind of stabilize. Yes, the pound will fall a bit, but actually it's not going to be a very big drop uh, and so on. The other view is that actually the more uh, the whole uncertainty uh, continues, what's going to happen is basically, you know, that the pound will continue devaluing. And at some point, uh, household consumption will be hit. Because what uh, depreciation of a currency means in the context of the British economy, which is very dependent on imports, is basically that you know, your whole consumption basket or a big part of your consumption basket uh, is going to become suddenly more expensive. You're going to lose purchasing power. So you're going to cut down on expenditures. This will affect businesses as well. And it will kickstart some kind of recession. Um, the second route uh, via which households may be affected is the one of uncertainty. So in theory, when the value of your currency is reduced, you know, businesses start investing more to produce locally consumed goods. So to replace, you know, what uh, imports once were, uh, or to increase exports because, you know, your goods in theory become more competitive. Um, the problem here is that obviously because there is so much uncertainty, uh, businesses may not do that. So they may actually 
cut down on future investments, cut down on expenditures, and this may translate into reduced overall activity and higher unemployment. This doesn't necessarily mean that it will materialize, but I think these are the two biggest risks at the moment. Okay, so how about uh, industries and businesses outside the City of London? We've obviously heard about RBS and Lloyds and and the financial sector. Uh, Do you think they're particularly vulnerable? Well, I mean, there are two types of businesses here. There are some businesses which, um, you know, produce goods destined to the internal market. I wouldn't say they're particularly vulnerable uh, necessarily, although obviously, you know, the less people can consume and the less disposable income they have, this means a reduction of overall activity. But, you know, the the companies that are producing stuff for the internal market, in theory, could replace part of current imports. Now, but you really need to look at the the sectors we're talking about uh, and, and, you know, the type of production we're talking about and so on. Export companies may also take a hit because obviously, you know, there's going to be massive uncertainty around where they're going to sell their products to which markets with what kind of tariffs potentially and so on. The only thing we can definitely say at this moment is that the more uncertainty goes on uh, and the more months pass, uh, the worse it's going to become overall. Okay, so looking at the rest of the EU then, uh, economically it's uh, had a rough couple of years and we've covered uh, many of those issues here on the uh, podcast. Eurovision just ain't a big enough export, eh? Uh, So can the Eurozone survive a shock like this? So there are three types of shocks here uh, to the Eurozone and the rest of the EU. The first one is symbolic. It's the fact that the European Union suddenly becomes revocable. And, you know, there are massive political risks associated with that in many countries. I think it's fair to say that uh, if a similar referendum uh, was held in a number of countries, the outcome may be similar. So there is a lot of dissatisfaction um, you know, on behalf of public opinions of, of many countries and therefore, you know, a clear political risk and associated uncertainty. The second route is the one of uh, exports. Uh, so currently, you know, the UK uh, has a massive trade deficit. So in effect, it's consuming more than it produces. And a lot of that is coming from EU countries. So it's an outlet for the production of um, Eurozone, if you want, uh, products. Now, obviously, if the pound devalues and the, stop, the, the, the UK stops having you know, such a trade deficit, this will mean some kind of hit uh, to these export industries, for example, in Germany, but also in France, Spain, Italy, and so on. I mean, the simplest example is the one of tourism, obviously. If people start going less on holidays abroad, you know, this may mean um, a reduction of income for some countries. Um, but you know, there is more than tourism. This was just an example. And obviously, we're talking about things like car manufacturing or even more general manufacturing products and so on. The third route is the one of financial instability. So there are many major European financial institutions are very exposed to the UK market. There is a lot of opacity, right, in, in on derivative markets and so on. So we don't exactly know Um, the extent of the problem, but there is one thing that is sure, which is that if, you know, this whole period of instability continues, uh, they may take a big hit and this may trigger something much more serious. Um, Speaking of which, 
Uh, things are definitely starting to feel a bit 2008-ish, perhaps less uh, less bankers with boxes uh, coming out of offices and more politicians with their boxes coming out of their office. Um, is there a risk, Olivier, that the global financial system could be headed for a fully-fledged crash? This is very hard to say. What, what we can say is that the global economy was very fragile even before uh, this vote. Uh, there are recessions in major uh, emerging markets, uh, the most dramatic example being Brazil, but there is also a slowdown in China uh, and in other emerging countries. And, you know, this wasn't the kind of rosy picture anyway. So with what's happening right now, uh, this may be a kind of additional blow uh, which may tip the balance uh, for the global economy. It doesn't mean it has to be like 2008. Uh, it may be something less catastrophic, but on the other hand, we're starting from a much lower level. Uh, so although the, the drop may be less catastrophic, in reality, we're talking about countries that are already on the edge. Uh, so the, the circumstances are widely different. So I think that uh, it could actually potentially be worse than that. Well, that's, that, that's terrible. Thank you, Olivier. So everyone's focus at the moment seems to be uh, very short term. And you've obviously given us um, some insight into what could happen, although it's not uh, terribly clear. Um, is there stuff that we can do long term, uh, not just to stabilise the economy, but uh, do you think take advantage of this and make the UK a fairer, more sustainable country? Well, I mean, the, the key thing here is that we need to deal with short term issues. We need to deal uh, on the one hand, with the potential immediate economic impacts, uh, notably for poorer households and you know the most vulnerable parts of the population, but also yes, we we need to start thinking around how we can shape Britain's economic model in the future. And I think that by and large there are two visions here, right? So. For example, imagine that uh, tomorrow the, the city takes a very big hit. Now, obviously, in a country which is so reliant on financial services, uh, this is a massive risk, not just for the financial sector, but for the entire economy and the jobs of the average person and so on. And then you have two choices. Uh, one choice is to try to prevent that development, so to try to save the, the structure uh, the current structure of the economy. Uh, the other solution is to, to start planning for something which looks quite different, uh, potentially starting diversifying the economy uh, and so on. Now, the risk here is, of course, that if we leave that to the last minute, you know, the very obvious answer will be to try and propping up uh, the, the existing economic model, if you want. And, and this will be sensible because you can't just arrive on the last minute and say, hey, by the way, let's diversify the economy. This takes time. So we need to prepare uh, very urgently for something like that if we are to achieve a rebalancing for the UK economy. Okay, so you've uh, obviously alluded to the fact that, that we've got lots of short-term uh, problems and it's difficult to see what's going to happen long-term. So right now, what kind of measures do you think uh, we could put in place to start transitioning you know, away from disaster? Well, I mean, the first thing is basically that if the private sector is going to enter in crisis and there's not going to be enough investment in the economy and so on, and you know, at the risk of creating additional unemployment, etc., the state needs to urgently step in and actually take action. And there are many ways through which it can do that. It can do that by drawing a line on austerity and actually 
starting spending more directly in the economy, it can also do that through monetary policy. So instead of the kind of quantitative easing we've had, to actually start in investing directly into different economic sectors, uh, which may potentially down the line uh, increase their production, uh, do some form of import substitution, or you know constitute an, ex- an increase in exports. But all of this can only work if there is, you know, a very clear vision around our relationship with Europe. Because evidently, you know, the state can start supporting, for example, through an industrial strategy, different sectors of the economy. But if the different companies which are eventually supported don't know in which institutional framework they're going to find themselves with what kind of tariffs, what type of uh, currency value relative to the euro, uh, what kind of institutional fix in other terms, uh, this will maybe be of little help in reality. So I'd say that ideally, uh, in the very short term, uh, we'd need three things. The first one is obviously to get to an agreement with Europe as fast as possible. The second one is to actually plan for an industrial strategy to rebalance the economy and change the economic model. Uh, and the third one, would, which would support the second one, is actually a change in the approach to monetary policy. Okay, well, thanks very much, Olivier, for joining us at such an unpredictable time for UK economics uh, for what is the last podcast recorded on Earth The internet is now closed. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) Bye-bye. Just kidding, guys. Uh, We're away for a few weeks, uh, but this is our 60th episode, uh, coincidentally the average age of a Brexit voter. Uh, So you can go back and enjoy 14 hours of Econolols on us uh, while we're away. It ain't all that bad, and by the time we get back, we may have had a new government, and a fallen government, and a new government. Um, so um, exciting times uh, lay ahead, no doubt. Uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. Bye. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.